New York, September 18, 1998. It was Friday, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. I was five years old at the time and on my way to school with my sister, only eight. My parents were on the same tray on their way to work along with my grandma. My mom worked in a supermarket on the edge of the city, stocking shelves with canned goods and bread. My dad worked in one of the big factories owned by one of the rich, capping toothpaste bottles at the end of the assembly line. My grandma worked in a little flower boutique in the middle of the city, only making minimum wage to make a little extra money for new shoes for my sister and I. On the stop before my sister and I would get off to walk to school, a dark figure dressed in all black stepped onto the train and made his way to the front where the conductor sat. He knocked on the door and waited for an answer. When the conductor opened the door, the dark figure lifted up the corner of his shirt to reveal a small black handgun stuffed in the side of his jeans. Although I think I was the only one to notice these things because everyone else was keeping to themselves and looking blankly out the window, even my sister. He slowly pulled out his gun and pointed in the direction of the conductor. At this time, people were starting to realize what was going on. He quickly turned around and pointed the gun towards the rest of us. I turned to look at a few people, and they had ducked down. He smirked, then continued. He walked around to everyone with a big black duffel bag and watched everyone as he did so. He turned around and looked back at the conductor that had not moved from his spot. Stop the train, he said in a low voice that even I could barely hear. The train came to a slow stop, and he turned back to us again. Start emptying your pockets and pull out anything valuable. Watches, rings, necklaces, earrings, and phones. If anyone tries to call the police, I think you know what will happen. He walked around to everyone while holding a big black duffel bag as he watched everyone when he did so. I glanced outside to see where we were. We were on one of those bridges that are over roads, more train tracks, and even other train stations. This one happened to be over nothing. As I went to look for my sister, out of the corner of my eye, I saw the dreaded headlights of another train. I was going to yell, but it was too late. We were already spiraling off the side of the tracks onto the pavement below. The last thing I remember is the last breath of my sister calling for my name in the distance. Austin. Just like that, everything I have ever known and loved was gone in a blink of an eye. When they found me, they pushed me into the back of an ambulance and rushed me to the hospital. On the way there, on the inside, I could see everything, almost as if I had left my body and was watching from the outside. Once I got there, I fell completely asleep, and they told me that I was asleep for 17 hours, but I was still exhausted and had hoped that it was all a dream. Unfortunately, that was not the case. They told me that I was one of two survivors and pointed to the man sitting next to me. He was a white male in what looked to be like his late 30s, dressed in all black, just like the dark figure. He looked to be around 5'8 with wide eyes and a small nose. He was just sitting there twiddling his fingers and looking around nervously. I recognized him almost immediately. Sir, I said, barely able to get the words out. He jumped and turned toward me quickly. Yeah, kid, what do you want? His voice was deep, almost deeper than my dad's. 
But before I could even get any more words out, his eyes got wide, and I knew that he knew who I was. Quickly, he started to pack up his things and head to the door, but before I could tell anyone, he was out the door. A couple hours had passed, and they were ready to release me. I had not really thought about anything other than what was going to happen when I went to school the next day, and how much homework I was going to have. But when the nurse came up to me, she asked, Do you know any numbers for your family other than your mom and dad? It also can't be your grandma, because she didn't answer either. And then it hit me. They had been on the train, too. If they weren't answering and they didn't know who they were, that could only mean one thing. They were gone. Everyone I knew and everything I loved had vanished before my eyes. I know that we didn't have much, but I didn't need much if I had them, and now I don't have them. What was I going to do? Who else survived? I asked the nurse in such a scared tone that even she looked concerned. It was only you and one other person. After this, she looked more upset than concerned, as if she knew then too. Then she turned to look for the guy behind her. Only then did she realize that he was gone. No one, I answered, so close to crying that you could hear it in my voice. What do you mean, she asked. I mean there is no one to call. They are all dead. If everyone but me and the guy who has left, the guy who caused all this live, no one. Just then, a single tear rolled down the side of my cheek into the side of my mouth. I could taste the saltiness as it rehydrated my whole mouth. I'll be back in a moment, she said as her own tear rolled down her cheek. At this point, I had no hope for what was going to happen next. Again, the nurse returned to my bed, but this time she had someone with her. She was tall, with short curly hair, wearing a gray suit with a magenta-colored shirt underneath. Hi, Austin. My name is Gabby. Gabby Hannah. I am a child services agent, and I'm going to take you to a foster program. When she said this, you could see the guilt in her eyes, as if she did not want to be saying the words coming out of her mouth, like she was being forced. I'm going to take you to your home to collect all of your things. On the way to the car there are going to be news reporters waiting to hear all about your story but you can't talk to them now she was serious i gathered up all my things from the side of my bed like my notebook and pencil the only things i still had from my book bag and i dragged myself to get up we pulled up to the front of my house gabby instructed me to get out of the car and follow her up the few steps that led to the front door as we walked, I could feel my face getting hot with embarrassment. I was embarrassed of my house and the few things we could afford to have in it. A small brown recliner in the corner of the living room, a small TV that only works sometimes, and a smart card table next to the kitchen where my family would eat most nights. Gabby let me walk in first, but I had completely forgotten about Obi. Obi was our 115-pound Great Dane that I had gotten for my first birthday. He had a nice glossy black fur coat with little spots of white fur on each of his paws. I had been so caught up in what had happened today that I had completely forgotten about him. After I grabbed all my things from my closet and the dog food from the garage, we headed it up 
to my first foster home. Before I even had the chance to step outside the building, I was already being bombarded with questions from every angle. What happened? You know that you are a miracle? How do you feel about the situation you are in? These have been great questions, but then I remembered what Gabby had told me. You can't talk to them. It kept replaying in my head all the way to the car. The second I sat down in the car, I responded to every question that I heard inside my head. It was a nice place that had a big backyard for Obi and a small bedroom for me. The family was nice and fed me every day. In the morning, they packed me a lunch for most days. Oh my fucking god. They all said I was that. Oh my fucking god. On my way home from work, I got to thinking. 13 years ago, I knew I had. On my way home from work, I got to thinking. 13 years ago, I knew what had happened. A random guy killed my whole family for no reason other than for a couple extra bucks in his pocket. I knew that what the guy had looked like. The cops knew what he looked like. And I knew what I had to do. I had to find the guy who ruined all those lives that day, including mine. I knew that just because they were gone and not here with me doesn't mean that I will ever forget about them. Lucky for me, that night it had only been Tom. He was standing behind his desk organizing some paperwork into the filing cabinet also behind his desk. I want to find him, I whispered so quietly that I could barely hear myself. I know you do, and so do I, but it's going to be hard because it has been so long. He whispered slightly louder while slowly turning around. I know, but I want to help. We know the motive what he looks like, and what gun he owns. Not to mention what offense to look out for, I snapped. And just like that, the conversation was over, and it was set. Every day after hours at the station and after my ship at the shop, Tom, Amelia, Noah, and I would get together to try to find the man who killed my family. But first, we had to make a schedule. We were not planning for this to go on more than a week. Day one, put together all the information we know about this guy. Day two, find out who in this area has a record of similar crimes. Day three, after picking all the suspects, see how they react to the pictures. Day four, after holding them overnight, put them in a lineup and have them pick out who it is. Day five, question him and find out a motive. For the next two days, I will have to take off work, which is okay, because I never use them. Day 6. Officially arrest the person responsible and let him have a lawyer. And I need to get prepared to take the stand. Day 7. Take the stand and hopefully put him away for what he did. This is my schedule for the next week of my life. Get ready. I think we should call in a police sketch artist to sketch a picture for us to put on the media, Noah said, looking back and forth between Tom, Amelia, and I. Tom then picked up the phone, made a quick call, and after a couple minutes of silence, there was a knock at the door. At this point, it was 10.08, and I had to be at work the next morning by 5.45, so I had to leave soon, but I also knew what I had to do. He sat me down without even introducing himself. So start with the head size, then the hair down to the neck. Be sure to include all the details that you can remember, the sketch artist declared.
Um, his head was the shape of an olive, I guess. His hair, he demanded, bald, I stuttered. He wrote down what looked like to be a quick note down, then turned back to me. About how far apart of his eyes and what color. He said it so naturally, like I was supposed to remember. I don't know, but I would say about three inches apart, maybe? I think that they were brown. I knew he wanted to say something, but decided to keep his mouth shut, which I didn't mind because if he said one more thing, rude. Oh my god. He sighed, then continued. Describe the nose, he urged, looking out from his paper once more. It was long, but fat and flat all at the same time. I looked over at Tom for approval, but he just looked away as if he had no idea what was going on. What was the shape of his jawline and chin, then you'll be done. Those might have been the best words I heard all week, and I think the artist could tell because he looked surprised when he looked at my face. Makes sense, I stated as I grabbed my jacket and started to head out. On my way out, I shouted goodbye to everyone as I turned away and started my walk back home. When I got around the corner, I was thinking about why it took me so long to help them on this case. And then the overthinking happened. This is when I started to blame myself for what happened that day. Why couldn't you do anything to stop him? How come you just sat there like nothing was going on? How come you didn't tell anyone what was about to happen? Why were you so helpless? You were five, but I couldn't stand to answer any of them, so I just kept walking until I opened the front door. Then Obi greeted me. This was the only thing that I really had left from my old life. We found him on the side of our yard when my sister and I got home from school one day. We both knew that we were probably not going to be able to afford him, so we didn't get attached. But when our parents and grandma came home later that day, they told us that we could keep him, but we would have to take care of him. We agreed. He was fed our scraps after every meal. Day two. Day two was pretty relaxed. When I walked into the station, Noah was sitting at his computer looking at a list of names with crimes similar to what happened on the day my family died. The main thing to look for was any armed robbery charges. The only thing is that they could not have been in jail during this time, so that limits the search by some. By the time Noah was done, there were only five names left on the list. John Wilder, Alex Hansen, Victor Walker, Hosanna Washington, and Kate Rodriguez. The first one, John Wilder, had three domestic charges two breaking and entering, and three armed robberies. Alex Hansen had just six robbery charges with one attempted murder. Victor Walker had eight armed robbery charges along with a domestic battery. Hosanna Washington only had two armed robbery and one breaking and entering. Kate Rodriguez had three domestic batteries and two breaking and entering. This was going to be our lineup for tomorrow. On my way home from the station that night, 
I got to thinking, but knowing that one of the people on the list had killed my entire family that day made me sick to my stomach. However, all those thoughts weren't away when I met Obi at the door. Day 3. When I walked into the station today, Amelia had led me straight to the back where they had the interrogation rooms. When I walked in, they had already picked up all the suspects. Each had their own separate room. Each time they interviewed a new person, I would step behind the double-sided mirror with Noah and Amelia to watch how they reacted to the subject. By the time we had gotten to the last suspect, I was starting to lose hope. They all had alibis that day. They all claimed to be doing something or with someone. But as we stepped behind the last mirror, a rush of chills ran through my body as Tom walked through the last door and our last hope. So, Victor... Where were you at 9.20 a.m. on Friday, September 18th, 1998? It took him a few tries, but he finally got the date right. How am I supposed to remember? That was... I could see him doing the math inside his head. Well, about 13 years ago. Correct, Tom sputtered. And I don't suppose you know what happened that day, do you? He questioned. No, I'm afraid not, Victor sneered. Then Tom pulled a few news articles from the file sitting next. What? Hi, buddy, how are you doing? He just looks at me excitedly. Yeah, I know you can't talk, but oh well. But as I started making myself dinner, it hit me that we just caught the guy responsible for what happened that day. Then I realized that almost 13 years of it being a cold case, we had solved it in under four days. Day four. They were lined up in a room against a wall that had each of their heights. And of course, I picked Victor. So before I went home, because it was still light, I decided that I was going to get food for Obi. Real food. Like, most of the time, he just gets my scraps and leftovers, but since I had been saving money a while, I figured I would get him some real dog food and water dishes and maybe even a dog bed. By the time I got home, Obi was sleeping on my air mattress bed, cuddled up in a few of my blankets. He did not even hear me come in, but didn't really... Mine, because I was tired anyway. Day 5. Today, I was going in. Going into a room with my family's killer. I didn't know how I was going to react to him, but they trusted me enough to try. Tom went in first. Victor had a lawyer with him. Victor was not saying anything. 